When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to Basketball Conference, the ACC football podcast. We are back at long last. My name is Joey Weaver. I'm a Georgia Tech grad and a Louisville fan. He is Mike McDaniel. He's a Virginia Tech grad and a Notre Dame fan. Mike, first question, how are you, sir? Very good. Back in action, Joey. So we took our two-and-a-half-week break. Now we're chilling. Holidays coming up here. Bowl games. ACC bowl games. I've been looking at the schedule because I was catching up because I was out of the country on that cruise. Looking at the bowl schedule so far, the games have been awful, like Mm -hmm. really, really bad. Hoping they get a little bit better now as the ACC kicks things off the day after Christmas. Yeah, you were off on a cruise for a couple, you know, for several days and did not have access to them. And trust me, you didn't miss much. Uh, Bowl games so far have not been all that exciting. A lot of blowouts, but um, hopefully that'll change here with some ACC games coming up. Some more, uh, maybe some exciting after Christmas football, perhaps. Um, but, yeah, as you referenced, I mean, we're back in the saddle here. It's been a couple weeks. Uh, we're all refreshed and relaxed and ready to uh, to finish strong here with this season. Uh, we have a lineup of bowl games. And just so that you all are aware, what we're doing here is we're going to uh, post an episode for every uh, day, every calendar day of bowl games. Uh, so we're going to start here talking about the only bowl game on December 26th, while also we're going to cover a little bit of news that's happened since we uh, last convened. Um, so, but, you know, with subsequent days, there's a, about two games per day for uh, several days there. So we will uh, hit all those days in their own episode. Uh, but for today, Mike, like I said, I want to start with some news that has happened since we last recorded. Uh, when we last recorded... Florida State had found out or was heavily suspicious that uh, Jimbo Fisher was going to be leaving them. And sure enough, he did. Uh, He has made his way towards Texas, and he is now the leader of the uh, cult following known as Texas A&M and my coworkers largely. Uh, And in his place now, Mike, they finalized. We talked about this as a potential option. Uh, New head coach at Florida State is Willie Taggart. How do you you feel about that? Is that a a good hire for Florida State? Is this going to work? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I think my opinion is that of most. It's like, okay, Willie Taggart, really good recruiter, and he's been good everywhere he's been, but you look at his head coaching record, Joey. Let's start in 2010. So he was at Western Kentucky for three seasons, right? Western Kentucky is a was an awful football program when he got there. They went 2-10 and ten his first year. Then they had two consecutive 7-5 and five records in 2011 and 2012. 16 and 20 record overall, 13 and 11 in conference play when he was the head coach there before he left for South Florida. 2013, he goes to South Florida, same sort of thing. Really bad football program. Uh, came in after Skip Holtz. South Florida, 2 and 10 his first year, 4 and 8 the second year. Then they went 8 and 5 and 10 and 2. And they won the Birmingham Bowl in 2016, right before he left, of course, for the Oregon job this past season. 
seven and five, four and five in conference play. Oregon, of course, was on the downswing before he got there, uh, coming off of their national championship game appearance a few years ago. Things never really went back in a positive direction after that. They were kind of just playing mediocre football. They were mediocre once again this year, going seven and five, and then he leaves for his dream job at Florida State. Overall, he's a forty-seven and fifty head coach. Uh, now. He's taken over a lot of bad programs. That has a lot to do with the win-loss record, but he's been a good recruiter everywhere he's been. He recruited well at Western Kentucky, recruited well at South Florida. You know, Oregon, it's kind of like an incomplete score for him just because it's really just one season. I mean, he went like underwent like half a recruiting cycle, right? I mean, he came in in the middle of things there last year and then started recruiting before leaving for Florida State. So what do we have in Willie Taggart? I think we're all really anxious to find out at this point. I think he's a good head coach. Is he a great head coach or a flashy name? Well, I mean, he's the up-and-coming name right now. But we'll really just have to see how this whole thing pans out because, you know, you're really going to have to step in and, and coach well coming off of everything that Jimbo Fisher accomplished at Florida State. I mean, that's those are kind of big shoes to fill. And, the, and Florida State, really, I mean, they got to try to nail this higher because they've had two consecutive coaches here with Bobby Bowden and Jimbo Fisher that encompass like a 35, 40-year span. And now it's like, okay, is Willie Taggart the next young guy, you know, to lead this program? Is he the right guy to lead the program? I think that's what, what we're all anxious to find out. Yeah, this is the first time that Florida State's had a coaching search in like 40 years. So there's that. Kind of what you mentioned is is – one of the things that's interesting watching Taggart is that we don't have a great sense of can he sustain success over a long amount of time as a head coach. So he comes off the Jim Harbaugh tree, and in seven years as head coach between Western Kentucky and South Florida, both programs, I mean, he kind of built some success. Um, like you mentioned in his record, one of the things that's kind of noteworthy about him is that in both of those stops, he started out – basically tearing the whole thing down and, and starting from scratch. Both years, I mean, his first year at Western Kentucky, his first year at South Florida, he combines to go 4-20. and 20. Um, So not ideal, but in both, I mean, after a couple of years, it was significantly better. Certainly South Florida last year uh, was 10-2 and two and, and went and won the Birmingham Bowl, I believe. So um, he's, he's built stuff, but the question is whether he can sustain it. Um, I People were kind of upset about this whole like he was at Oregon for one year thing and leaves to go to Florida State deal I wonder if we look at this hire any differently if it happened a year ago so he's coming off a 10 and 2 season at, at South Florida and just goes straight to Florida State maybe it makes sense right and, and I don't think anybody would would uh, blame him for that especially something like this that you would consider your dream job but um Ultimately, yeah, he goes to Oregon for one year, goes seven and five, which is a lot better than you know, we've seen him in first year stints. He also had to deal with some uh, some injuries and such throughout. But I don't know. I, I I'm not a hundred percent certain that this is going to work. Um, but I feel good about it. I mean, we've got some good data that suggests that he knows what he's doing recruiting, knows what he's doing uh, scheme wise, and uh, should make it work at Florida State and could be a really good hire there. Uh, but time will tell. He's going to have to uh, hire a new set of coordinators there in Tallahassee. Uh, Mario Cristobal and Jim Levitt both staying back at Oregon. Cristobal to be the head coach and Levitt to remain the defensive coordinator in Eugene. So uh, a little bit of a, a building from scratch here thing for uh, Willie Taggart. And we'll see. I mean, it's going to take a while for us to figure out, but I mean, history has shown us here over the last few seasons with a lot of these big-time head coaching jobs, these high-profile positions that, 
you know, you really don't get a lot of time to prove yourself. You get, you know, three, maybe four seasons, and then you're done. So, look, Florida State's got a lot of talent already in place. We know Taggart can recruit. If he continues to do that and he can coach that talent, he should be really successful there. You know, a lot of guys are going to stay on board. A lot of guys like Taggart and like what he stands for, and I think a lot of the players will be excited about playing for him. It's just whether or not they get the results on the field. If they do, of course, he'll stay there. Uh, but if he doesn't and they're just kind of mediocre for a couple seasons, I think he'll be a pretty short leash because they are Florida State, they are a high-profile position, and they can essentially get any coach that they want. Exactly. Mike, speaking of Florida State and speaking of bowl games, let's move on here a little bit. Staying with Florida State, though, there was a weird story that came out earlier this week. Uh, we sit here recording on the 23rd. Weird story that came out earlier this week suggesting that Florida State, as much as they are preparing to play in the Independence Bowl, they might not actually be bowl eligible, as the uh, letter of the law would state. Um, I, I don't know if you saw this, Mike, but on uh, this is actually coming from the college football subreddit. Um, did some did some investigating and found that there is a technicality in the rules. So, as I understand it, right, you can count one FCS win per year towards bowl eligibility. Um, so, if you go five and six versus the FBS, and then you beat an FCS team, that's fine. You're bowl eligible. There's a caveat to that, though, that for that FCS win to count, the FCS win has to come against a team that is using a certain allotment of its, you know, or a certain percentage of its allotted scholarships. And Florida State's win this year over Delaware State, come to find out Delaware State's not using their, you know, they were not hitting that threshold of allotted scholarships. And it turns out Florida State might not have actually been able to count that one when talking about bowl eligibility. Yeah, so I guess the threshold was 90%, right? So Delaware State had to have 90% of their players on the roster, you know, hitting the scholarship threshold. And I guess what's happening now, so Brett McMurphy reported yesterday that, okay, just kidding, Florida State's bowl eligible. Delaware State provided updated records that suggested that over 90% of the roster who played against Florida State back in September, or I guess September, late September, early October, over 90% were on scholarship, and they had been using old information. I guess that's okay, right? So now Florida State's bowl eligible. I don't know. Super weird story. Went back and forth all week. I guess Florida State is now bowl eligible when people were saying, oh, they weren't, but they, you know, too bad. It's too late now. They're playing in the bowl game anyway. It's just another one of those weird caveats in this, you know, this bowl streak for Florida State that's lasted now over 30 seasons, but they had one vacated. Now, I know Virginia Tech, you know, all the Virginia Tech fans get all angry about it because they want to have the longest standing bowl streak in the FBS, and there's this big internal argument between them and Florida State and their fan bases about who has a longer win streak. It's petty. It's stupid. Who cares? Um, you know, if you go seven and six, I, you know, I don't, I don't care what, I don't care about the bowl game you're in anyway. But long story short, Florida State's bowl eligible. They extend it to 30-whatever years plus the one vacated season, and Virginia Tech fans are all angry about it. But, yeah, super weird story. I guess it's reached a conclusion. So Florida State will end up playing in the bowl game. I guess that was going to be the case all along, but now they're truly bowl eligible, and we can all move on from this weird story that never really made a whole lot of sense to me. Yeah, on some level, it's kind of a non-story. Like I kind of feel like if somebody had caught this – you know, as they were gearing up to play ULM or something, they'd still get a bowl waiver. 
Like, you know, you, oh, hey, like, are we really going to sit Florida State at a bowl season on a technicality like that? Probably not. Um, so ultimately kind of a non-story, I think. But uh, certainly a, a an oddity in the rule book that could have come into play. And, and props to the uh, admin staff over at RCFB for uh, uncovering this uh, scandal of massive proportions that is uh, Florida State's eligibility. But... In any case, yeah, they're in the Independence Bowl. We're going to cover that in a future episode. Um, but uh, it, So we're going to move on here, Mike. Um, early signing day happened. Uh, this is a new thing. It did. We, yeah, so previously uh, players all had to wait until the first Wednesday of February, I believe it is, um, to be able to sign a national letter of intent and really lock in their scholarship with the school. This year uh, kind of kicked off bowl season by uh, having a little signing day of our own, Mike. Yeah, we did. So, you know, for a majority of these programs, I mean, signing day is pretty much done. I mean, there are a couple of high-profile athletes that will wait until February. But, you know, National Signing Day, as we knew it previously, is now pretty much over. Um, you know, you do have some guys that wait until February. But for the most part, this was put in place to help these schools, you know, across the country kind of have in place their roster and who they're going to have moving forward heading into next year so that all of a sudden when you have a guy that you think's in the fold verbally flip it's not as big of a deal as it was in the past so now you get a real gauge on where players you know the prospective players heads are at when it comes to signing with a school if they sign on the during the early signing period you know that they're truly committed and if they don't and they wait until national signing day they probably weren't fully committed to your school anyway like they said they were verbally so that's what we're dealing with. Uh, Miami tops the list. They're sitting here um, as the number one school in the ACC, according to uh, 24-7 Sports Composite. They have 20 overall recruits, 13 four-stars, Joey. They got one five-star recruit as well. Um, you know, they're going to be highly thought of just because Mark Richt is a very, very good recruiter. He's proven it now in his first few years there at Miami. Um, Lorenzo Lingard is their one guy. At running back, he's the highlight of the class, a one five-star recruit, according to the composite, six foot 190 out of Orange City, Florida. And then they got a whole host of four-star skill players. They got dual-threat quarterback Jaron Williams. They got tight end Brevin Jordan, uh, wide receiver Mark Pope, Al Blades Jr., cornerback who's really talented as well, out of Thomas Aquinas in Florida. So it's clear that Mark Richt, uh, you know, made an emphasis on – keeping the guys in state going to Miami, and I think that's really important. Clemson is the number two school in the ACC. They're coming in at number eight right now nationally. In the composite, uh, loaded once again, Joey, four five stars, six four stars, another really loaded class for them, and they're going to be really, really good you know, into the future. Uh, as long as Dabo Swindy's there recruiting, um, they're going to be really solid. Uh, number three in the ACC, Joey, Virginia Tech, four four stars, 23 stars they got 23 star athletes to sign at virginia tech so that's pretty impressive i'm really excited to see what the Hokies do as a fan uh just because you know we've seen the potential that's been there under justin fuente and and his staff's been recruiting and done a great job here over the first few seasons there in blacksburg and you know now we're starting to see the full crop of players there for the Hokies and what they're going to be able to do moving forward is extremely exciting because you know they were kind of just a 500 team the last few years of Frank Beamer, and they were still recruiting well, but now they're recruiting well. They're starting to play a little bit better on the field. I'm excited to see what they do. 
You got NC State at four, Louisville at five, Florida State all the way down to six right now. Only ten players committed, and of course that has to do a lot with the coaching turnover. North Carolina seven, Syracuse eight, Georgia Tech, your Yellow Jackets at number nine, UVA, Pitt, Wake Forest, Duke, and Boston College rounding out the 14 for the ACC. So as it stands right now, I mean, it's going to be really intriguing to see what the future holds for a lot of these programs, but I think if there's one player that everybody is kind of going to watch out for, it's Trevor Lawrence, the pro-style quarterback heading to Clemson. Um, of course, the Tigers have Kelly Bryant in the fold here it, for this season and at least next season. Much anticipate that he'll come back to school. But Trevor Lawrence is a one-guy quarterback position that I think Dabo Swinney is really excited about and should be able to sling the ball around quite a bit for Clemson moving forward into the future. So he might be the next great quarterback there for the Tigers. I think he's the one player we'll all be watching out for. Yeah, a couple items I find noteworthy, starting with Clemson. They, uh, they do come in second in the ACC to Miami. But again, Miami had 20 guys signed. Clemson only has 15. In a small class, Clemson has probably pound for pound the, the single best recruiting class in the country, I would bet. Uh, everybody ranked above them right now has at least 18 guys. That's Alabama. And everyone else other than them has at least 20. Um, so Clemson with only 15 guys is, is really coming in strong. And, and I thought it was noteworthy, too. They published a graphic on National Signing Day, Mike. I don't know if you can look at necessarily one service that will tell you this, but across a couple services, if you look at the guys that Clemson has signed, they got arguably the best player in five different states. They got the best player out of South Carolina, North Carolina, Georgia, Florida, and even Ohio, Mike. Like, that's impressive. That is some reach. For the all, over the, all over the country, and four five-star recruits, according to 24-7, leads mm-hmm. the ACC. Yep. Yeah, that is amazing. Um, they, are, they are on fire and recruiting right now. Uh, as you mentioned, Virginia Tech and NC State, both in the top 25. I thought that was pretty impressive. Uh, things I was, I was kind of disappointed in, uh, Florida State not being, outside, not being inside of the top 30, uh, recognizing that they're going through a coaching change, but there's been a lot of turmoil in the uh, – in the recruiting department, as a result, uh, they they currently only have ten committed players, and only seven of them signed. Now, of those, I mean, most of them were, were really strong prospects. Um, Asante Samuel Jr. is the name that sticks out to me. Um, but Florida State, you know, Willie Taggart with some uh, work to do, finishing out this class and then putting together something for next year. That's for sure. Uh, looking down the list, uh, a team like Pittsburgh is kind of disappointing to me at 11th, uh, outside of the top 50 nationally. That's a program that I thought we were going to be getting more from, uh, more from Pat Narduzzi and that staff as he uh, took over that program. But they're going to continue to struggle, I think, uh, long term if, if they're not able to put together better recruiting classes than they have. Um, other than that, Mike, I think that's that's all I got in terms of uh, noteworthy items on the recruiting front of things. We've got some more uh, we got some more signings coming our way in February that we will have to circle back on and, and kind of update these rankings. But as things stand for now, very very impressive showing from uh, Clemson and Miami, NC State, Virginia Tech, and uh, and those folks of the world. Moving on, Mike. Last piece of noteworthy news here. Uh, it was a good day yesterday for Georgia Tech football fans on some level, uh, as it's been a long time coming, yes. Uh, Ted Roof is out as defensive coordinator for Georgia Tech. Uh, he is headed to Raleigh. He's going to join Dave Doran's staff as their 10th coach. Uh, I, I, 
expect that there might be more coaching changes coming in terms of the Georgia Tech staff, but that was the big one. Uh, the Yellow Jackets struggled the last couple of years with scheme. Um, there were a couple of times I've made comments in like our Slack room on, on from the Rumble seat saying things like, if I were a defensive back in this scheme, I would feel like offended by some of the calls Ted Roof makes. Um, almost like he couldn't trust him to cover. It, whatever it was, it wasn't working. He's a, te- he's a Georgia Tech alumnus, so you know I love him and I appreciate his work, and he was a good guy, but uh, it just wasn't working. It's, it was time for a change. Yeah, Joey, it was a long time coming uh, for Georgia Tech. Obviously, defensive side of the ball was not great. Uh, I think the best word for it is inconsistent. I mean, there were some highs. There were a lot of lows this past season in particular. And he knew that they were going to have some sort of shakeup to the staff because, you know, Georgia Tech did underachieve. They missed a bowl game this year. Uh, it wasn't great on the defensive side of the ball. There were a lot of mishaps, uh, blown coverages, just missed tackles, stuff that you could prevent on that side of the ball. Offensively, Georgia Tech was pretty good all year long, so for the defense to be able to assist them in any sort of way would have been much appreciated, I think. Uh, but, you know, things weren't going according to plan for Ted Roof. Like you said, appreciate all the work that he did there at Georgia Tech because he was a Georgia Tech alum. And you were, of course, a Georgia Tech alum, so you know you appreciate his work there. But like you said, it was time for a change. I think this was a move that was definitely in the best interest of Georgia Tech moving forward, and I think it's a move that Paul Johnson had no choice but to make at this time. Yeah, you talk about the the Yellow Jackets missing ball eligibility and that having something to do with the defense. Uh, Paul Johnson made a comment on the signing day. Uh, he had a, he had a co- press conference on signing day, and one of the questions was about any staff changes that might be coming and. Uh, at one point, he made the, the comment mentioning that Georgia Tech lost uh, six games this year, and I think at least three of them they had a multi-score lead in at one point. Um, when you're consistently giving your defense a big lead and they are consistently giving it up, the defense is a problem, and, and that's that's all there is to it. Um, candidates that have been looked, for, uh, looked at already, I guess, in, in round one of this coaching search to replace him, um, the, the, the popular and familiar names are Charles Kelly, recently um, – released, I guess, from Florida State with their whole coaching change. Um, he he was a former defensive backs coach under Georgia, or under Paul Johnson, and uh, he took over for Al Groh as interim coordinator in 2012 and did really well for the back half of that year, really improved that unit. Uh, another guy currently on staff is Andy McCollum. Uh, he's basically Georgia Tech's recruiting coordinator. He's their, their ace recruiter on staff. At the very least, if he doesn't get this job, he needs to be given a bump or something to make sure that they can keep him around because he is uh, pretty single-handedly leading the charge of recruiting at Georgia Tech, and, and that is a critical, critical thing. Um, if, it, if it were to get any worse, you know, it, you'd have bigger problems. Um, the other name that I've heard thrown around, not really from within the program or anywhere near it, um, comes from Appalachian State. Uh, Nate Woody is the defensive coordinator up there. Uh, runs what you would maybe refer to as like a multiple 3-4 defense. Um, kind of a 3-4 base, but uh, it will we'll kind of change it up at times as, as needed. So uh, that's another name to, to keep an eye on. And there's been a lot of chatter, too, about uh, Paul Johnson looking to fill this need at the upcoming uh, AFCA coaches meetings or, or conference or whatever uh, here in the next couple of weeks. So uh, we should have some news on this before too much longer. Uh, in terms of who might be or will be replacing Ted Roof as defensive coordinator for Georgia Tech in 2018, it's hopefully going to be better than Ted Roof. <laughs> yeah, I think that's what we can uh, we can assume at this point. Yeah, 
all the uh, all the Auburn fans warned us when we hired him, saying, "Hey, like this sounds like a really good uh, idea and a really good thing, but third and roof is a thing." And sure enough, it was. Um, Auburn warned us about Scott Leffler at Virginia Tech, and that didn't stop us. So mm-hmm. it happens. Yeah. All I know is I'm not going to miss watching defensive backs give 10 yards of cushion on third and seven. All right, Mike, that's probably about enough of that. Let's move on. We got the first bowl game we got a preview here. At uh, December 26th, 5.15 on ESPN, the ACC kicks off bowl play in the Quick Lane Bowl. From... Ooh, that screwed us last year, buddy. Yeah, it did. That was a wild game last year. Of course, that was Boston College in Maryland. Uh, this year, the ACC representative is Duke, and the uh, adversary is going to be Northern Illinois. The Blue Devils a five-and-a-half-point favorite here. Like I said, 5.15 on ESPN on December 26th. So as you have uh, finished taking back Christmas gifts, uh, you can come back and watch some sweet quick lane bowl action. Um, Duke is, is an interesting kind of uh, competitor here. They they started out 4-0. Then we're four and six. Then finished six and six. Um, a couple of strong performances to close out the year: wins over Georgia Tech and Wake Forest. Uh, meanwhile, Northern Illinois, out of the MAC, uh, has has kind of played consistent all year, kind of sprinkling a loss here and there, but uh, comes in at eight and four. Uh, S and P Plus tends to like Northern Illinois here. Uh, Mike, is that something that you would agree with? Well, I mean, let's look at the metrics right so scoring defense duke and northern illinois are in a tie with south carolina for 25th in the country in scoring defense only giving up 20.8 points per game so okay comparable defenses you know duke is a pretty mediocre team in the acc northern illinois out of the mac you know decent year but it's the mac both given up a little under 21 points per game and then you look at the scoring offenses northern illinois 51st duke comes in in the low 80s uh, Northern Illinois scoring about 30.2 points per game this year. Meanwhile, um, you look at Duke, and let me just pull this up real quick, Joey. Duke is 84th in the country in scoring offense, 25.8 points per game. So, yeah, okay, you got to take caliber of opponent into situ- into the situation, which, uh, you know, S&P Plus does a pretty decent job of, and they try to do that. And they like Northern Illinois. They like their offense better. Um, Duke's offense has been sputtering. It's been hit or miss most of the year. We've talked about Daniel Jones and how he's kind of underwent kind of a sophomore slump. Uh, he was okay to close out the year. I think he was a lot better throughout the month of November than he had been for most of the season. Uh, but it was a roller coaster ride for the Duke offense. I mean, he really only had TJ Roming to throw to. Um, the running game was hit or miss. Sean Wilson, of course, the leading rusher for Duke. But you know, Duke as a whole has been up and down all year. You know, we've seen more of Duke than we have of Northern Illinois. I don't watch Northern Illinois games, admittedly, but Northern Illinois has a decent program. They've had a decent program for quite some time. I'm just kind of interested to see how they react to a team playing in the ACC like Duke. It's not a top-notch team in the ACC, but it's, you know, one of the tougher opponents that Northern Illinois has played all year. So how will they respond against a Duke defense that has been relatively stingy? Uh, they have a, a quarterback in Marcus Childers, 1,440 yards. He's only completed 57% of his passes this year, 15 touchdowns, five interceptions. But Northern Illinois has gone through a host of quarterbacks this year. It's been a number of different guys. They've got Santa Catarina, which that's a mouthful, 712 yards. He's completed 64% of his passes, seven touchdowns, five picks. But they love to run the football. Um, Joey, they have four rushers, Northern Illinois does, who have – 
uh, carried the ball for 200 yards or more on the season. Leading the way is Jordan Huff, 740 yards and four touchdowns. And Marcus Childers, the quarterback, 454 yards and five touchdowns. So he provides a dual threat presence at the quarterback position that, I mean, Duke faces on a pretty regular basis in the ACC Coastal. There are a lot of mobile quarterbacks who can hurt you with their feet and through the air. So it'll be interesting to see how Duke prepares for this game. Um, They've been so up and down all year. Northern Illinois seems like they're the more consistent football team. Duke is the favorite in this game. And what did you say it was, Joey? Five and a half? Five and a half, yep. Yeah, yeah, I mean, that's that's a lot of points to me. Um, And and Duke's been very inconsistent. So I think I'm going to take Duke to win, but I think I'd like Northern Illinois to cover in this game, Joey. And, you know, as far as the over-under is concerned in this football game, the over-under is 47 and a half, and... I'd love to say that I like the under just because of the, the scoring defenses that I mentioned, but the quick lane bowl screwed us last year, Joey. I'm not going to let it do it again, so I'm going to take the over in this game because Ooh. I took the under last year, didn't work out. I'm going to take the over. Surprise, surprise. Interesting. Okay, well, NIU has had a, a pretty interesting season, and in particular the first month or so was pretty pretty wild, I would say. Uh, if you look at the S&P Plus win expectancies, they should have beaten Boston College and they lost – and they should have lost to Nebraska, and they won. And they should have beaten San Diego State, and they lost. Um, so there's not a whole lot of connection between what they were winning and what they should have been winning. Um, they played more consistent down the stretch, uh, for better or worse. Ultimately, the, the big thing for me here is, as you kind of were referring to, uh, both defenses are significantly better than both offenses in this game. I think this is a low-scoring, a bit of a slog. Uh, Duke's offense looked better the last couple weeks of the year. Uh, I think they started to lean on the running game a little more, and and that's kind of where they're going to make their uh, make their hay in this game. I think that they'll be all right. I don't know if they're going to be able to uh, run the ball significantly well on uh, on Northern Illinois. Uh, their run defense is really good, uh, one of the best in the country, honestly, depending on uh, which metrics you're looking at. But I think Duke is going to do enough to get it done here. Not really a barn burner kind of game. Um, maybe a bit of a low score, you know, something like a 17 to 10. I think I think Duke covers five and a half, not by much, but I do really like the under as well. 47 and a half is a lot of points for what I think these two teams are going to put up. Uh, should, Rational. Yeah, should be a bit of a, a defensive battle here, but give me Duke. Should be a defensive battle, and I like your rationality. Rationale. Yeah. Rationality. I don't know why I said that. Rationale. I like your rationale. Yeah, those are words. Yeah, yeah. One of of them. (laughs) One of them is. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, I mean, reason would tell you that this should be a bet on the under with two pretty good scoring defenses, but thought that last year, and it really came back to haunt me. So, yeah, that was just gut feeling game. One of the most fun games of bowl season last year. It was. That second half was wild. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was a, that was a whole experience. I kind of remember watching it from like a restaurant and just like I couldn't pay attention to the conversation I was trying to have with my wife because I kept like staring at how ridiculous Boston College and Maryland were. So maybe we'll get the same yep. this year from Duke and Northern Illinois. We'll see. We'll see. Mike, anything else before we get out of here? I think we're good, buddy. All right, we're gonna come back and preview uh, December twenty seventh next. Uh, in the meantime, you guys can find us on Twitter. I'm at FTRS Joey. He is at Mike McDaniel ACC, and together we're at BC Podcast ACC. You can send us an email to the longest email address known to man, basketballconferencepodcast at gmail.com. Nailed it. Yeehaw. Uh, you can find us on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, the Overcast app, several other places. And Mike, where else can they find us in the social medias? Facebook.com slash basketballconference. Rate, review, find all of our podcasts there. Make sure to like the page. 
I can tell that this is muscle memory by now because we haven't done this in a couple of weeks, and I'm just like <laughs> breezing through it without even thinking about it. Yep, yep, we have not done this in a while, and right back on the horse. Yeah, absolutely. Hope you guys enjoyed. Uh, it's been a good little first bowl preview slash catch up, and like I said, we'll be back here in a couple days uh, talking about the future uh, ACC bowl games that we haven't gotten to yet. Uh, Mike, we'll talk then. Sounds good, bye. All right. Well, until then, for Mr. Mike McDaniel, I'm Joey Weaver, and until then, go ACC. Yeah.